Now, this morning, what we you know, shall you know, explore are you know, some aspects uh, connected uh, with uh, being on the path and, uh, in particular, mindfulness uh, in uh, daily life. Now, the fact that you know, the retreat will end in less than an hour doesn't mean that your mindfulness practice will end. Hopefully, at least not. And so, so there are certain things that need to be considered. The transition a period from an intensive retreat into you know, one's daily life tends to be a rather you know, sensitive uh, period and sometimes a little bit you know, difficult. And uh, this being so, be gentle you know, with uh, yourselves and uh, you know, right after an intensive retreat, you know, please do not hit the next beer bar or discotheque. <laughs> And uh, in Lumbini, we've had uh, meditators who've, uh, well, who were on a retreat for, let's say, maybe a month or so, and uh, very much craved for the Indian chai, you know, so the Indian tea. And uh, you know, the first thing after the retreat was right away to you know, you know, hit you know, the next tea shop. Uh, well, this is uh, less, uh, less dangerous, though. And um, then for this uh, during this transition period, just uh, remember that your own mind will be pretty refined after one month of intensive uh, meditation practice, and um, it will also be relatively pure. And do not assume or expect for your fellow human beings to have a mind that is just as pure and as refined as your own mind is. And so, so now when now then interacting with non-meditators, be prepared to, on occasion, encounter some rough behavior. And so, so you know, be patient uh, with uh, this. And so, and then comes the interesting point, namely, watch your own reactions. So you know, when you get a rough treatment, uh, possibly even you know, through someone else, you know, then you know, how do you respond you know, to this? Do you respond uh, in kind or do you respond with kindness? And so, in this connection, an, illust- an, uh, an occurrence that actually happened a number of years back in Malaysia. Apparently, there was uh, you know, a Spanish uh, meditator, and uh, he had practiced at uh, the Malaysian Buddhist Meditation Center for you know, well several weeks. And then came the time for his departure, and he headed from the Penang Island over to Butterworth, so across the strait, Penang Strait. And then he was indeed in a rush to catch his train. And so train going to, most likely going to Bangkok. And so, so he was somewhat uh, late by the time he got to you know, the train station. He rushed towards the you know, ticket counter and um, uh, then you know, tried to you know, get a ticket. He got his ticket, but the train you know, started uh, uh, taking off. And, uh, and then you know, he missed his train. And so he then rushed into the train station master's office. And and then, well, asked this train or station master why he didn't have the train stop so that he could board the train. And he was so, he got himself in such a rage, into such a rage that he literally kicked the desk of the station master. And this after several weeks of intensive practice. So, 
<laughs> this is, uh, of course, something you know, that uh, you as uh, serious meditators don't want to uh, repeat or any kind of similar you know, behavior. Now, in the long run, it is. It would be wise if uh, a certain interest in you know, satipatthana meditation is there you know, to you know, keep up one's uh, meditation practice, and so, uh, even though a formal intensive retreat you know, comes to an end, you know, then one should go on you know, with one's uh, mindfulness practice during one's uh, daily life by you know, scheduling you know, some you know, time you know, for this uh, whenever you know, convenient. And so, you know, so then an intensive retreat you know, will be followed by uh, mindfulness uh, during daily life. And uh, you know, then whenever the next uh, an opportunity for another retreat comes up, you know, then you know, one you know, goes for the next retreat. And one keeps alternating periods of intensive practice with uh, you know, periods of uh, daily practice. Now, um, during... Intensive practice, one's progress tends to be, what you think, very slow. <laughs> During intensive practice, it tends to be rather quick, or at least it, uh, there's a potential for this. And... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and uh, no, so it tends to be quick and steep. You know, whereas, you know, whereas during one's uh, daily practice, depending on the number of hours that one is uh, giving to formal practice, one's progress may be you know, somewhat slower and not quite as uh, steep. However, this doesn't uh, mean that uh, there is uh, no progress during uh, daily uh, practice. And you know, to give you an example of uh, the uh, well, the potency of uh, daily you know, mindfulness practice or mindfulness in daily life, you know, namely, I know of a, a Burmese uh, you know, couple you know, living in England. Both of them are physicians, Doctor Din, Doctor Dimin and Molly, and both of them have their own you know, private practice and are busy people. So they're seeing you know, patients uh, you know, almost every day, and for them it's really hard to, you know, to you know, do an intensive retreat because uh, you know, they have to you know, find a replacement for you know, their you know, per, you know, for themselves uh, you know, to run the clinic you know, during their absence, and this is uh, you know, difficult and expensive. And um, so, over a period of maybe ten years or so, they had to rely mostly on daily practice. And so they you know, valued their you know, time that they have had for you know, their daily practice very much and you know, most likely you know, put a lot of you know, good effort into it. And so over time, their, their meditation developed in an outstanding manner. Both of them managed to reach rather high levels of insight knowledge. Now, all of this goes to show that even with daily practice over, carried out over a longer period of time, one's meditation is well, bound to progress. Now, then, how to proceed when it comes to our daily or mindfulness practice in daily life? The foundation as for intensive practice lies in sila. And so here during an intensive retreat, all of you have been you know, observing you know, the eight precepts, and so you know, during you know, your you know, uh, daily life, of course, it's not necessary to observe all eight precepts. Now, however, I do recommend you know, that you keep uh, you know, the five precepts. And so, so the five precepts that we've just uh, taken, um, namely consisting in 
uh, abstention or abstaining from uh, taking life, taking what is not given, and then uh, oh, as for sexual relation, relations, to abstain from any kind of unlawful you know, sexual relations, um, you know, which boils down to adultery, so you know, um, to interfere into you know, maybe another you know, relationship and, uh, and to, you know, well, jeopardize one's own you know, relationship. And so then the fourth precept is that of you know, refraining from false speech, and the last one is simply you know, from, um, well, uh, abstaining from taking intoxicating you know, substances such as uh, alcohol and uh, drugs. Now, in the connection with uh, you know, the you know, precepts, the Venerable Saint Upandita you know, encourages certain, you know, meditators, late, and in particular meditators, over and over again to you know, be courageous in this regard. Now, in modern society, with all its many temptations, it's certainly easy you know, to you know, forget about one's nesila, to break you know, this or that particular training rule. And you know, so we need to have you know, the courage you know, to defend our precepts against you know, normal or, or normal ways of behavior in society. And so uh, this you know, then applied to, to you know, the fifth precept you know, then you know, means that even though if one's uh, new family is in the habit of family or friends uh, uh, are in the habit of uh, you know, occasionally taking a glass of uh, wine um, or you know, some other um, drinks, uh, then... One, one opts for the orange juice instead, and <laughs> or any any other kind of juice or, or, or drink, and so even if one might be inviting, well, some criticism and some lack of understanding. Never mind. As meditators. You know, well, we've experienced uh, enough uh, happiness within you know, that uh, we are not dependent on experiencing happiness only you know, based on uh, a glass of uh, wine. So uh, the, the happiness that arises naturally out of the meditation practice is by far you know, better than any kind of uh, you know, joy and merriment you know, that is uh, based on uh, uh, taking intoxication substances. And after all, um, by now, um, I believe that you've come to value mindful, the importance of mindfulness and taking such intoxicating substances will clearly lead to heedlessness, to absent-mindedness. So the precepts are observing the precepts during one's daily life is a way of building a good foundation for further practices such as such as the training in concentration and the training in wisdom and now, without a proper you know, foundation in you know, virtue, it will be you know, difficult to you know, develop much you know, concentration in you know, wisdom. And the you know, main hindrance here, you know, or disadvantage, uh, comes in the form of uh, uh, a bad conscience. And then, now... In modern life, most people are quite busy and have to attend to many things, and therefore daily practice will be limited to just a few hours. 
And uh, if you have uh, one hour to spare, then use it for uh, Satipatthana meditation. If you have more to spare, yeah, then yeah, maybe uh, even add uh, some uh, metta practice, metta bhavana. And uh, what you might uh, do is uh, you spend uh, one hour in loving-kindness meditation and uh, the other hour on uh, Satipatthana uh, meditation. And the loving-kindness meditation is uh, a nice way of uh, establishing a wholesome or wholesome mental states within one's own mind and also radiating thoughts of loving-kindness to uh, others. And uh, this usually makes uh, for a harmonious uh, relationship uh, with uh, others. And when... We have more uh, more time than just uh, you know, two hours, and then you know, we could uh, you know, even spend like three or four hours on formal practice every day, and uh, you know, this then of course is uh, much better, and uh, may uh, then even help a meditator you know, to maintain, if not uh, uh, even further, you know, develop you know, one's uh, meditation practice beyond. Um, you know, one beyond one's um, well um, beyond you know, the level of insight that one gained during you know, the retreat. Now, a question that you know, frequently comes up is you know, that of uh, you know, when I do my daily you know, practice, you know, then you know, will you know, my you know, level of of effort, of mindfulness, and, and, and of concentration and wisdom you know, drop off or not. And so this will very much depend on the number of hours that you put into or, or that you, you devote to your formal uh, practice, formal as well as uh, informal uh, practice. So with just uh, one uh, hour, um, the progress uh, will be somewhat slow and uh, not as steep, but with three to four hours of formal practice every day, plus you know, some uh, mindfulness integrated into you know, the daily activities, you know, this might uh, then uh, already you know, mean quite strong or, or contribute to quite strong daily practice. Now, when we you know, do our daily meditation practice, and then we should do. We should keep up our practice as on a regular basis. So ideally, every day, and our practice should not be kind of like sunshine practice. So we practice when it's sunny, and so we don't practice when it's not. Conditions in life are not that bright. So the frequent uh, behavior is that uh, when one feels tired and uh, maybe upset and uh, uh, restless and so on, then one might certainly be tempted not not to want to meditate. And it's just at that point that it's actually the best time for practice. And the reason for this is what? More effort is needed. What else? Ah, the hindrances are there to be seen and yes, and gain. Use this as a wonderful opportunity to learn more about greed, anger, uh, and uh, then delusion and restlessness, and so on and so forth. Otherwise, you will be missing a, a wonderful opportunity. And, so, and then, you know, furthermore, as a way of uh, contributing to some intensity in your you know, uh, daily practice, you might certainly continue to write down your experiences uh, after the sitting, just like most of you are doing uh, or have been doing during this uh, retreat. And what this will do is, 
And then while you're sitting there, you know, it will make you observe properly because only if you observe properly will you have something to you know, write down. Otherwise, uh, you know, the sitting meditation may uh, end up uh, to be just a waste of time. So meditation practice, if you know, carried out properly, then it can be you know, the most dynamic activity in the world but if it's not done properly, then easily it might be just a waste of time and energy. So our daily practice should not develop into you know, a state of daydreaming, getting lost in wandering mind, and so on and so forth. And so when you write down your experiences over a longer period of time, and then once in a while you go over you know, your, what you've written down, you know, then you might certainly discover you know, some you know, well, common you know, patterns there. You might see a certain structure, and certainly then if you compare your notes with you know, the notes that certainly you've taken you know, during, or the, the things that you've written down during the intensive practice and the advice that you, know, you, you received during the interviews, well, then you, know, you might understand what's going on in your practice and you know, then also know how to proceed. Now, just as a you know, rule of thumb, namely, um, should some difficulty arise in your you know, daily practice and you really don't quite know what to do, then, um, and there's no, no one else around to, you know, to give a helping hand, then simply be patient, keep practicing for maybe uh, another week or so, and usually within this period, you know, then the practice will develop further and the answer to your question you know, will be uh, right there. Now, the meditation, the daily meditation practice may you know, also be seen as a way of uh, well, you know, building a good foundation, and then when the next uh, retreat comes, you know, by that time one is already much more familiar you know, with the meditation practice, uh, with events occurring in the body, events occurring in the mind, and so, you know, then you know, during the next retreat, you know, one's practice will you know, take off uh, quickly. Now. Our mindfulness, the practice in daily life, should not be limited to just formal practice, but we should, as much as possible, also integrate it into our daily activities. So simple activities such as maybe opening a door, closing a door, and um, opening of the, well, no, opening of the eyes and so on, that's maybe a little bit too refined. But um, other uh, activities like uh, cleaning, or uh, maybe doing uh, the dishes, or uh, waiting, uh, waiting for some um, public uh, transport, and so on. Uh, or even occasionally when uh, doing when uh, when calling a person uh, by way of you know, the telephone. Um, then simply to you know, just before the call, before one you know, makes the call, you know, to check, okay, you know, what's the intention, what's our you know, one's uh, um, feelings towards uh, you know, the or mental states and towards uh, you know, the other person, what is one going to say, and so on and so forth, and then mindfulness in you know, punching you know, the you know, uh, the you know, the figures, the numbers. And so, you know, and then mindfulness certainly during speech or during the you know, telephone you know, conversation, and likewise by extension also you know, once in a while one could practice mindfulness you know, during a general conversation. Now there are many areas you know, during which we can practice uh, mindfulness. However, um, during intensive practice. 
you are now used to slowing down, doing everything really slowly, and you're also used to labeling many of the events that are occurring. And this during daily practice is not necessary to the same extent. So if you can, well, in terms of speed, you'll have to adjust to the common speed of everyone else. If you were to cross a road and the speed you're moving around here, then you might not make it to the other side. And so then your mindfulness might not be that helpful. And then... Um, when you perform certain activities, maybe you know, not, 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 uh, while you're working, and uh, you're trying to label every you know, activity, such as bending, 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 stretching, stretching, or typing, typing, and so on, and so you know, then um, you might not keep up uh, with uh, your uh, work. Or when your supervisor comes and uh, you're busy noting, please wait, I haven't finished noting my activity. <laughs> your supervisor might not like it too much. And so we need to adjust to circumstances. Now, Lisa asked what is the main instruction for one's mindfulness practice during daily life. It is just the same instruction as the main instruction as here during intensive practice. Namely, we just go by the maxim of always label, observe, and know the most predominant object that is occurring in the body or in the mind. And so you can start out by using the rising and falling movement of the abdomen as using this as your anchor. And then if some other object arises somewhere else in the body, then you could focus your attention on that, be mindful of that, and then back to the rise and fall. If some predominant state arises, then observe that for a while until that disappears, and then back to your anchor, the rise and fall, and so on and so forth. So the basic instruction is exactly the same, and you just have to adopt or adjust it to your daily activities. One more, you know, one more suggestion. I've heard you know, that some people are practicing mindfulness uh, uh, even you know, during office hours, so at work, uh, maybe once in a while, uh, after, you know, right you know, during the lunch break. I heard that in Australia, some government uh, um, employees were doing this in a certain department. They would have lunch together and then you know, spend some time together in silence uh, you know, with mindfulness. Uh, mindfully observing uh, what's uh, going on. So that is actually uh, not so bad. Or uh, if uh, for maybe a few minutes uh, you have uh, some breathing space and uh, there are no uh, direct um, uh, requirements or obligations, and then and maybe if the mind is somewhat agitated, you know, then you, know, you might certainly use that uh, those few minutes you know, to you know, get in contact again with the rise and fall and uh, to observe the predominant states. Now, what else? When you, you know, go back and uh, rejoin you know, your you know, respective uh, families and circle of uh, friends and uh, colleagues, then you know, do not expect others uh, to understand or to approve of your you know, meditation practice. Some might, you know, but uh, probably the majority uh, might uh, not. And so... Uh, it's quite uh, impossible that at least some people you know, will react uh, adversely you know, to, or in an adverse uh, manner, you know, to you know, the meditation. And so, uh, some people uh, still uh, have 
mindfulness or, or uh, perceive meditation as a useless activity, which is uh, uh, just a, a waste of uh, time and uh, nothing. Uh, there's no contribution to uh, the GMP, to the cross-national product. <laughs> I've heard this before. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, just to give you another uh, uh, illustration, and, uh, towards the end of one of the retreats in uh, Europe, there was a, a very nice uh, and elderly uh, meditator uh, from Switzerland. He was from, uh, from the Franco-Swiss part, or Franco uh, part, uh, French part of uh, French-speaking part of Switzerland. And uh, he related you know, that uh, after you know, one of his retreats, he you know, returned home to you know, his family. And he was so inspired by you know, the meditation practice, in particular, you know, well, walking slow you know, walking meditation, that he kept practicing you know, slow walking meditation at home. And this just drove everyone else in his family nuts. <laughs> <laughs> And <laughs> they got really upset with him. <laughs> they just really took offense that he was crawling around there at uh, close to zero speed. And <laughs> <laughs> and so, so if you notice that your uh, surrounding is certainly kind of showing strong reactions, <laughs> you might you might want to adjust a little bit. Um, and then, uh, and then, um, when it comes to you know, convincing others of uh, you know, the values of uh, the meditation, please uh, you know, don't uh, try to be you know, some fervent missionary you know, who's uh, proselytizing and trying to win over everyone else, you know, but uh, you know, be you know, be gentle. And sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes it's best to you know, simply, you know, well, show the you know, value of the meditation, you know, or let the you know, the value of uh, the meditation practice speak through your behavior. You're changed and more patient, more considerate, more uh, understanding, you know, wise uh, the behavior, and this uh, might be much more uh, effective. And uh, usually when it comes to you know, the parent-child's uh, uh, relationship, then parents are you know, pretty you know, receptive and uh, observing, and uh, you know, they easily notice a change in uh, you know, their you know, children. And so when they see a positive change there, it may make them you know, think about uh, you know, uh, how this uh, all happened. Anyways, the benefits of uh, the mindfulness practice, some of the benefits uh, could be given as follows, namely, obviously it contributes to a relative uh, purity of uh, the mind. And uh, see, in the course of a day, we spent outside of intensive meditation practice, we tend to accumulate a lot of unwholesomeness, a lot of unwholesome mental states. And if we don't do anything about them, then over time they will accumulate and may cause a lot of damage, both on a mental level as well as on a physical level. Hence, it's really a wise thing um, to um, meditate on a daily you know, basis and with one's daily practice to uh, then um, be mindful of the different uh, unwholesome mental states uh, that uh, might be present in the stream of consciousness and uh, then to you know, to observe them and eventually, you know, they, and eventually to let them pass away and thus contributing to uh, some amount or some degree of uh, purity. And purity of mind is uh, a condition you know, for happiness. So 
Now, when the mind is filled with unwholesome mental states, then it's impure, and the impurity of the mind clearly uh, is a cause for unhappiness. So seeing this uh, connection here between purity and happiness and impurity and unhappiness, we might as well you know, work towards uh, more and more you know, purity of mind. And um, another you know, big benefit and connected benefit uh, of uh, one's daily meditation practice is simply that uh, um, when some uh, unwholesome mental states have arisen in one stream of consciousness uh, owing to some worldly affair, then uh, with mindfulness one can overcome these relatively quickly. So in comparison to a non-meditator, a meditator is always uh, in a better position. And as a result of this, one is not going to suffer that much. Think of of a time in your life before you started with intensive meditation practice and uh, maybe some uh, big problem arose in your life and you you were overcome by by sadness, by depression, by anxiety, worry and whatnot, and possibly this lasted for a whole week. Now, uh, as a meditator, there's no need to suffer that long. And uh, um, being mindful of you know, the situation, being mindful of the predominant states, you know, one can then uh, you know, overcome those quickly, observe them and overcome them quickly. And so life is full of challenges, certain situation conditions keep changing you know, all the time, sometimes problems come up and um, then uh, at times we might not uh, right away know what to do, how to proceed. And so the meditation practice is a wonderful source you know, for you know, some intuitive uh, you know, solution to you know, the problem. So when the mind, when we sit in meditation, the mind comes down, and so, you know, then oftentimes you know, the uh, the correct answer or the you know, the best uh, you know, solution to you know, the difficult situation that might come up. And under normal circumstances, when we're under stress, very very occupied, then this intuitive mind has no chance to uh, operate properly. Now, the meditation practice uh, also contributes to harmony within oneself. And so this harmony then will have an impact on uh, others. And uh, so in a a family, if one person is uh, or displays a relative uh, degree of inner harmony, uh, then this will uh, have uh, a positive influence on uh, the others. And... Then there are more and more modern applications for mindfulness. And so mindfulness certainly can be practiced and certainly used not only during intensive practice and for one's uh, daily meditation practice, but also uh, it's certainly a good certainly thing to you know, remember when uh, one uh, is sick. And then for those who are raising children, to introduce those to mindfulness at an early age in a playful manner might make a huge difference. And then as we have seen with Flora Busevitz, who was mother, mindfulness for the elderly would be yet another application, which saves the elderly unnecessary suffering that might arise when losing one's balance, being well, not paying close attention to where one is stepping, losing one's balance, and then falling over. And then mindfulness-based stress reduction is certainly very popular in this country and also now 
catching on quickly in other you know, places like Europe and possibly Australia. And so, you know, so you know, this is very helpful you know, for um, people who are suffering from various uh, chronic uh, diseases, even for teachers. And so, so there's uh, a great uh, variety of applications uh, for that. And so, uh, then for many years now, you know, mindfulness has been taught uh, to you know, prisoners, and it's a way of helping them you know, to deal with strong you know, mental states, and uh, in particular to give them an opportunity you know, to be less you know, impulsive, less you know, reactive. So even though you know, some you know, challenging you know, situation might arise and some very strong you know, mental states you know, might arise, yet you know, owing to the presence of mindfulness, you know, one is uh, not uh, reacting. Now, mindfulness is uh, uh, or has also found its way into um, the law professions and so, uh, and uh, also into big business, uh, a big company like Monsanto and uh, Bayer Leverkusen, and by now probably a number of others, uh, are making use of uh, uh, mindfulness. And in some cases, you know, first the management uh, undertook some training in mindfulness, and then later on, uh, large numbers of uh, you know, the uh, company uh, employees that were given similar you know, training. Now, an area that uh, is uh, a new area you know, the, in, in which we can uh, or could and should you know, apply mindfulness is that of conflict resolution. And uh, you know, conflicts occur all the time in uh, you know, society, not just during our present uh, age, but also in the past, and uh, they will continue to uh, occur in the future. And so, you know, so conflicts are part of uh, human existence, and we might as well you know, deal with them in a smart and wise way. And mindfulness is one major you know, key or major tool in the context of a conflict. A conflict may occur you know, between husband and wife, between parents and children, between ch you know, children and you know, their or students and their teachers, and you know, then at the workplace, and uh, you know, then um, between uh, even in traffic. Uh, uh, <laughs> And so on and so forth. And so easily conflicts arise. And if we have mindfulness, if we use mindfulness in particular when listening and venerable Viranyani. Oh, you have to go. Okay, so then, safe journey. Oops. So, uh, mindfulness is extremely useful you know, during listening and also during speaking. So if uh, you know, some difficult situation uh, ha or conflict has arisen where the stakes are you know, really high and uh, you know, you know, well, you know, strong emotions uh, uh, are you know, present, uh, then each and every word counts. And so if one you know, chooses just the, the wrong word, you know, one you know, might uh, in, you know, make the situation worse. And so, you know, when listening you know, to another person, you know, there are different ways of doing this. We can listen to another you know, by uh, you know, mostly being engaged with our own thoughts or, uh, in other words, not really paying attention to what the other person is saying. Uh, or you know, we really listen you know, mindfully to what the other person is saying. We're really hearing the other person. And uh, we try to you know, understand where the other person is coming from, what his or her needs might be. And uh, you know, this then might give us some clues you know, as to how you know, to resolve uh, the conflict. So 
Uh, mindfulness in you know, listening and certain you know, speaking uh, has and also you know, during uh, you know, negotiations during mediation and so on has certain you know, much you know, value and much you know, potential and uh, in the Buddhist community it isn't you know, that uh, uh, well uh, it's kind of like a neglected topic that most people are not uh, aware of now, what's, uh, what else? During our, um, or being on, on the path, we um, can, being on the path for a longer period of time, we can expect you know, major you know, changes to you know, take place. And you know, so over time, our... You know, virtue, our sila will improve over time, our concentration will improve, wisdom will unfold stage by stage, and our initial faith that was still very weak and tender eventually may turn into unshakable faith. Naturally, our mindfulness becomes stronger and stronger, and the same thing goes for our perceptions. If as we are facing different, different difficulties, we need to exert ourselves again and again. This will strengthen effort and equanimity will improve and so on and so forth. There's plenty of wholesome mental states that will arise and then be strengthened. And as we are on the path over a long, longer period of time, well, we are bound to gain the benefits from the practice as given already during the earlier discourses in the form of the purification of the mind, overcoming sorrow and lamentation, and then overcoming or destruction of physical pain, mental distress, and so on. And as a meditator is experiencing or going through the first few insight knowledges, with each insight knowledge, there are certain benefits to be gained. Now, these are you know, some of uh, the uh, main points. Now, maybe uh, one or two more remarks uh, regarding you know, the discussion, or uh, Lisa's question uh, from last night about uh, you know, sharing you know, the Dhamma with others in a sitting group. Well, among, uh, apart from you know, the qualities mentioned yesterday, you know, namely patience, uh, it's also helpful you know, to have uh, wakefulness, jagariya uttanam, in you know, the Pali uttana, uh, in the Pali scriptural language. So being established in um, um, in wakefulness, and uh, or the arising of uh, wakefulness, and then another you know, quality is given as sawibhaga, uh, which means uh, you know, sharing, sharing of uh, what uh, one has with others, sharing one's you know, dhamma knowledge you know, with others, and you know, then deya is uh, sympathy or you know, compassion, and you know, then. Um, you know, wisdom here in Pali is known as ikra, and uh, this means seeing, and uh, the Venerable Sadhu Pandita explains this as having the foresight with regard to you know, the benefits and uh, you know, the suitability uh, and uh, you know, when it comes to taking you know, some major you know, decisions. And so, uh, knowing you know, how to you know, decide. And uh, a wise person you know, should certainly be, um, or one who is certainly sharing the Dhamma with others, you know, should be a wise person and certainly should you know, then you know, aspire you know, to you know, these uh, virtues. Uh, furthermore, 
other qualities. The integrity of one's behavior was mentioned already yesterday. One point that I didn't uh, mention was the volition or the intention in sharing the Dhamma with others. And this makes a huge difference. So um, is one's intention to impress others or is one's uh, intention to maybe uh, make some money or is one's intention simply yeah, no, 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 I mean it. Uh, or, or is the intention you know, to simply you know, for the benefit of uh, the meditators? And clearly, the intention should be, asp- should be pure. And it should be you know, just for the benefit of uh, you know, those uh, who are par- participating in uh, that certain sitting group. And so... The slightest impurity of uh, one's volition in teaching others, then sooner or later will lead to some problems. And one of the advantages of sharing the Dhamma with others in the context of of a sitting group is that it forces oneself, forces the person who who shares to then do some uh, reading, Dhamma reading. One has to study a little bit and uh, select certain texts and think about how one is going to explain this uh, uh, to others. So it leads to and uh, more intensive um, engagement with uh, uh, with the Dhamma on a, on a theoretical basis uh, or you know, textual basis, um, you know, and uh, uh, this then will help to might help to deepen one's own practice, or it just might, it will help for a better uh, understanding of uh, the Dhamma. So this is uh, it then for now. And uh, let me conclude uh, the Dhamma t- this uh, uh, morning Dhamma talk by wishing uh, that what has developed during our uh, one-month uh, intensive meditation retreat uh, here at the Forest uh, near Refuge in Barrie, near Massachusetts. Um, may that, um, that seed of the Dhamma that has been planted, may you yourselves be able to nourish it more and more through further practice, or through you know, the you know, reading, some Dhamma reading, you know, you know, being part of a sitting group, and so on. And then may this seed of the Dhamma will turn into a sapling, and may this sapling then turn into a very strong Dhamma plant, and may it bear many fruits in uh, the weeks and months and years to come. And this is it for today. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.